Welcome, Fruitball fans! Another Friday, another exciting review. On today's episode, we go on an adventure about trust. We ride a giant beetle boy, and we may just find the last dragon. Come along as we review and give final ratings on Raya and the Last Dragon, released in 2021. As always, there will be heavy spoilers, so please watch this film first if you don't want it spoiled. Now that the spoiler warning is done, grab a snack, pour a drink, and get comfy for today's episode of Fruit Bowl Weekly. Fruit Bowl Weekly and a can of coke. I'm Ramra, joined again by Kitchen. Hello. And onto a quick synopsis before the main review. Raya and the Last Dragon is an animated fantasy adventure movie about a girl named Raya. After a magic dragon orb breaks, creatures called the Droon now run amok, turning people into stone, including Raya's father. Raya must now journey across the world with a dragon named Sisu to gather up the remaining dragon orb shards and seal the Droon back into the original dragon orb in order to return her father back to normal. So, one of the things that first caught me is that this film visually is very beautiful. Immediately from the get-go, it sort of has, I guess, two distinct art styles. It has sort of like this, almost like paperwork type of animated style for like flashbacks or for explaining like exposition, which it does really well in terms of describing the initial country or the world and the actual towns or the villages and stuff that are in this. And then the main art style is just really beautiful. Like the set designs of the town called Heart is very sort of vibrant. It's very colourful. You can definitely tell that this is a happy place. And then you have other places like, I believe it's Tail, is just a desert. And then you have Fang or Talon, I think it's Talon. That is sort of like a, a snowscape and is more reminiscent of Vikings or barbarians in a way. Um, so it's sort of colder, it's a snowier landscape. Their houses aren't as, I guess, as developed as the other countries and stuff. And the actual art style displays this very well. It's really Disney using what they know works. We've seen through history of Disney having sort of a, a mixed media style approach to storytelling, especially with movies like Moana and Hercules, which tell the story through, I guess, 2D paper craft caricatures. Yeah. And then obviously you move forward from that into the main animation of the, the movie, which do have a lot of similarities as well. I think Raya is using what they learn from Moana in the terms of water physics where I think Moana really got that down. And then uh, in Raya, they were just blowing out the water with realism instead of just this amazing, bright, vibrant blue that they had. Yeah. Though there is a lot of vibrant coloration in Raya, I do think it takes a slightly more realistic approach in terms of like the, the water and the surroundings. Oh, yeah, of course. Now, where I think they slightly missed the mark was with the face detail. The characters' faces seem very uh, basic. There isn't too much detail put into the actual features of the face, you know, like wrinkles, freckles, that sort of thing. Yeah. But on top of that, the fluid animation of their, their speech is just so on point that when compared to the very flatness of the facial features, it gives you a very uncanny feeling. I was impressed as at the same time I was sort of deterred from looking at it. <laughs> yeah. 
Another aspect of more of the animation rather than the actual design. So I I thought this film was going to have more combat than I originally thought, just based off the trailers. And in the intro, we get the first combat scene, which is like Raya training with her dad to basically become the guardian of this Dragonstone. And at first, I thought it was kind of done in a bad way. Now, granted, this is obviously them training, so they're going slower. He's obviously not attacking with, like, killing intent and stuff like that. At first, I was like, there's so many long pauses before they do a move, and it always cuts down to, like, the footwork, and then it's just her doing, like, another basic swing. So I was like, oh, is this is this what the <laughs> combat's gonna be throughout the entire film? And then, granted, there isn't many combat scenes, but the other few combat scenes we get, they're actually relatively fast. There's not many pauses, if any, at all. Like, most of the attacks are fluid and react off each other well. They only get better. Yeah, and I also think that the inclusion of... The chain sword was really well done as well, because I like the fact that it sort of, you do get to see each individual segment animated as it comes back to its original form, and just the fact that it's less of an attacking weapon in this film. Yeah, it's utility more than offence, isn't it? And I, I genuinely like that, despite the fact that I think it's cool as fuck as a weapon. <laughs> it is. I love the fact that she's just using it as, right, time to swing over here, no, time to cut this rope from far away to activate a trap, and even then she uses the chainsaw like, only at the end, I'd say, she truly uses it as an actual weapon. Yeah. While everything else is to sort of, you know, capture enemies off guard or just to basically help her get out of a situation. And that in itself, as well as the fight scenes, is just animated really well as well. Yeah, you were saying before how the first fight scene seemed a bit lacklustre when compared to the later ones. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't put it past Disney to have that intentional as at this point, Raya is a child and is just really at the point where she can fight to a certain level. Yeah. So it would make sense, especially since she's fighting her father, he might be pulling his punches, even if she might not be pulling hers. It shows that the character at this point of Raya isn't combat-oriented. Yeah. <laughs> and it just improves as the movie goes on. Whether or not that was the case with the animation team of Raya, I don't know. But either way, I think the fighting in the movie is very well animated. Yeah. Another thing that I actually kind of liked, more on the character design aspect, is the drones and the dragons. Because mm. the, the whole point is, I believe the drones are, like, hatred or greed or some sort of negative emotion that's manifested from humans themselves. Whereas the dragons represent more of sort of, like, the trusting, respectful, togetherness aspect that all these sort of villages and the world should strive towards. So the dragons themselves are very colourful, they're sort of slender and not very imposing, and they've got sort of, like, very kind faces in terms of the animation. Whereas the drones are primarily made up of purple and black colours. Featureless void. Yeah, and they're just a shapeless mass that doesn't really show you anything. They've taken, they've definitely taken a leaf out of the My Little Pony book of child entertainment. <laughs> where the yeah. evil energy is caused by disharmony, discord of people's hearts or something along those lines, where the very colourful and for some reason fluffy dragons are the embodiment of innocence, purity, kindness, trust, 
harmony. Yeah. It's a very standard and very easy route to take, but I do think they executed it in a very, like, visual manner. Yeah. So... The designs and the visual effects in the film are great. They're sort of above God. It's the typical Disney thing in which more of the effort is put into the actual visual look of the film. Because, sad to say, the story does fall short in a lot of places. So, as per the summary, the story itself mainly sort of forms around the theme of trust. So... Raya and her dad want to basically unify the entire world back together because they've all split off into their own sort of separate factions or villages. And by bringing them in, they basically immediately get betrayed. Because of their greed, the magic orb breaks and everything gets fucked up. The whole theme of the film revolves around Raya basically dealing with the fact that her father's now stone and she needs to get him back, because she's been told about trust, about love, about bringing everyone together, and the first time she gets to experience this, she is immediately betrayed, and it's sort of ingrained itself in her that she just cannot trust anyone now other than her dad, really. Yeah, and the story functions, really, as a journey of Ryo's mentality of others, Yeah, and how she slowly brings a party together and begins trusting them, ending in her trusting the person who originally backstabbed her. Yeah. Now, that is a, a fairly decent message to send, if it wasn't for the fact that every time they trusted someone in this movie, they were betrayed. Yeah. Which isn't a good example to set. You shouldn't trust someone multiple times if they betray you every time you've trusted them up to that point. It's not just that either. It's the fact that all these villages distrust one another. Yep. And we get to see that at the beginning. And Raya's the one that is trusting and they are distrust, but they shouldn't have changed. Like, everyone we meet in this film really should have been more hesitant to join Raya. Yep. And it's just the case of she distrusts almost everyone she meets while slowly trusting them. Whereas everyone who's supposed to distrust the others because they've been wrecked in some way by the Droon immediately trust her after like 20 seconds. Well, yes, uh, on top of that, each member of her party is from one of the villages. And they do use Raya as an anchor to earn their trust but there's no reason they should trust other people on their team. And I think they do mention that the reason they trust the other people on their team is because they trust Raya. It's because they trust Raya. What has she done to earn their trust? Nothing. Does she trust them? Doesn't seem like it until the end. (laughs) Like, she is willing to almost just betray everything they did together. They formulated a plan for the ending. They sort of did all this preparation to safely bring everybody back. And yes, there's something in the ending that does happen that causes her to snap, but she doesn't even bother to listen to anybody. And even then, in a way, it was kind of Raya's fault in some cases why sort of like the thing at the end does happen. And she just ignores everything. She immediately loses any lesson that she's learned, which is indeed another Disney trope, but I feel like that would have been more of a turning point of them to reconcile with her, and then them to go along with their original plan, to show that the trust is still there, and that just doesn't happen. So, other than the fact that the theme of trust is weirdly sort of mixed in this film, the other issue I have with the film are the 
what I would say the side characters are, which are pretty much 75 to 80% of the characters in this film. Because you get you get Boone, who is, I believe, from the Tail Village. Ryu just fucking hops on his boat, and then he's like, sure. And then that's that's that. Yeah, he's your he's your wacky wavy inflatable arm mascot. He is indeed just fucking hyped up on summer. I know that for sure. <laughs> then after she gets Boone on her side by just falling into his boat, she then goes to Talon and befriends a baby and three monkeys after they literally tried to rob her. And I understand. I understand. Oh, it's it's a baby. A family's turned into stone or whatever. But this is one of the weird cases where. They immediately get on the boat, and it's just like, no, we're friends now, even though I almost stole the thing that was most precious to you. It's like, what? Raya, come on. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, Raya shows her sort of naivety here, where before entering the village or town of Talon, she mentions to Boone and Sisu that the town is nothing but thieves and villains and they will try and get your money wherever they can and they are not to be trusted only to immediately see a baby in an alleyway look ahead and then roll her eyes <laughs> go towards the baby and oh look it was a trap it was a trap all along and this is another thing that frustrated me is that it also did cutaways to what was supposed to be the leader of the village as well and it ended up sort of not being who we were shown. It turned out to be some sort of, like, little old woman or something. And she was a, a bit of a yeah. bitch as well, to be honest. Good. <laughs> it's the fact that, like, I believe that the guy was also shown at the beginning when they were all coming to heart to basically try and do the whole trusting thing. And then they just do this twist or whatever, or this change. Shitty fake out. Yeah. There are a few really poor fake-outs in Raya, starting from the opening sequence where she's meant to be like a thief jumping in a thing yes. to steal the orb, and then she takes her shoes off before entering the vault. That's your first sign that, oh, there we go. But other than that terrible fake-out, she then goes to, uh, I believe the next one is Spine, and everyone there, I, I believe everyone, has literally turned into stone except for one guy who I believe has basically lost his mental stability, or it looks like it, because <laughs> cause he... he... <laughs> Being a barbarian, I don't think he had any to begin with. <laughs> you know what? Fair enough. But they immediately get captured by this guy, but he, you know, he's the kind-hearted, gentle giant, I guess, because he still wants to fuck things up. Yeah. But, you know, he also has a child, and he's also the first one to check No Way or Noise tag to be like, that's a name. Did none of you even bother to check a collar? Yeah, that's true. Sh sure, fine. You can develop your character in that quick way if you want. That's up to you. He's supposed to be a caregiver of a man, isn't he? Yeah. Sure, he might be tough and gruff on the outside, but he's a father at heart. And that's the sort of strong father figure they're trying to portray here, where, sure, he might look like a brute, he might look tough, but he's not. Yeah. As you said, gentle giant. And that is, is a very common trope, especially for Disney, because it's another one of those subversions. And then after he immediately joins, because she's literally like, look, they'll kill you all or something if you don't take all my friends and leave. And he's like, don't worry, I'm on your side now. It's like... Because dragon. 
No! <laughs> yeah, because we all share the same dragon religion and the dragon is actually here in physical form, I will join you. And probably because tiny baby and he feels he needs to take care of it. Doesn't say that though. Probably. I, I would have liked it if yeah. it was literally just that. Like he, yeah. he's obviously a dad and there's this little baby who seems to be capable, but at the same time, she's it's, just, it's just a baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, of course, as this sort of pathway goes out, we eventually end up in Fang, which is the sort of like main, I guess, antagonist force of this film. And mm. they also seem to be the smartest ones because they created like a, a moat around their little village, their kingdom, whatever. And the Droon seem to not like water, so they believe they're safe now to just go out and come back whenever they please. And that this is where the main theme of the trust comes into place, because this is also where Namari is. And Namari is a character that we also see at the beginning of the film. Because when they all come to sort of find out how Heart is so prosperous, to find out how what they're doing wrong, the Fang village comes up and they have a little girl with her. That's Namari. Namari and Rhea immediately become BFFs because they share their love of dragons. And they're like, no, I'm the biggest dragon fan, not you. <laughs> yeah, paralleling modern day young adults and their fan fictions and fandoms. Yeah, to be like, I'm the biggest fan, not you, silly. Whatever the female version of a bromance is, it's that. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Like, it's just immediate. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Namari, of course, because it's literally what her village wanted, got close to Raya to find the dragon orb, and the whole thing happens in which every village member ends up coming into the dragon chamber, they try to fight them off, their greed overtakes it, and the dragon orb shatters. Then, when we get to the end of the film, and we end up facing off against, sort of, adult Namari, Raya has now gone through this whole adventure, she now has learnt a bit more about trust, is she willing to trust Namari again to hopefully bring everyone together to solve this world issue? Why trust someone who's backstabbed you two or three times already? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why should I have to bend to them? Yeah. Why should I have to be the pushover? And honestly, the way the ending of the film goes for me is that the only reason <laughs> Namari ended up actually joining forces, other than the fact that, you know, Raya got back into her heart or her emotions or whatever, and she realised, no, this is what we're doing is wrong. But also, literally the other four saviours or five saviours or whatever have turned into stone. She's literally the only one left trying to escape from the drones, so it was either join up with them or <laughs> get turned into stone. That's how I saw the ending. It's about placing your trust in someone who feels they might not deserve it. Yeah. It's a mirror of the actual dragon story that they read at the beginning and how we find out it actually played out where Sisu was the dragon who was sort of the misfit I guess the one who always screwed up yeah and yet all their siblings placed their trust into Sisu to fix the drune problem which she did yeah she did and in in much the same way you know um, Namari's sort of the screw up in all this it's thanks to her that things happened because obviously she betrayed Raya's trust at the beginning yeah and it's her responsibility in the end to fix it all. After Raya, as well as Raya's party, trusting Raya, place all of their faith and trust into Namari to fix it. Now, there is a, 
a tiny little split second fake out that makes zero sense. Yeah. And I'm not going to go on to that. No. But this whole scene is obviously made to be a mirror of the dragon sequence and a sort of fulfillment of the circle of trust. Yeah. Or the belt of trust, as Parasite taught us. <laughs> yes. Um, and you know what? That's that's fine. I mean, it sort of brings the story full circle mm-hmm. and I don't really mind it that much. It's just I feel like the situation that Namari was put into, it was either you probably get turned into stone or you are forced to do this other thing. Agreed. Now, she she sort of probably would have came around eventually anyway, but it's still a forced decision. So, Raya as a sort of character overall is is a good character to be honest because she's a character that's genuinely been hurt like you feel that in her happy moments it's more of her putting on a facade because she has genuinely been hurt by someone she trusted the most and someone she already trusts that exists literally got hurt and turned into stone because of her misplaced trust so yeah seeing sort of her character genuinely you know, get upset when things don't go right, seeing her characters sort of have these moments of happiness, but, you know, they're sort of fleeting in a way because she knows ultimately she has to be serious, otherwise this problem isn't going to get solved. Mm. And, like, Raya's design is pretty okay as well. I mean, Raya is a good character overall, it's just the message that's attached to her is pretty shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, she is also kind of a trope. She is your typical protagonist trope. She shoulders the burden of responsibility in her part in creating the world she now lives in and tries to fix. She's trying to solve her problems. But when I say that she's typical, she's typical in the best ways possible because she isn't a female protagonist. She is just a A protagonist. protagonist, And that is it's the best way they could have created a character that is female, that is the main character of a story, and the hero, and she's pretty badass, if I'm honest. Yeah. And I feel like this should have been how Mulan was shown to the audience. Oh, okay. There was a lot of emphasis in Mulan of breaking tradition and too many of these girly things, which is fine, it's par and course for the time. But they focus too much on her being, I guess... The chosen one. Yeah, over the top, I'm a woman, I, I do this, here's my woman references here, there and everywhere. We know you're female. Like how we don't like people being referred to as the hero or the protagonist of the story. We know. Yeah. There are a few, um, I guess, comments in the movie to try and be relatable to audiences of the same age group and gender as the hero. That's okay in my book, but it does date the movie. As a female lead, as a protagonist in a movie, animated or not, she doesn't ram any sort of political context down people's throats. She is a hero in her story and she only cares about that. And in my mind, that is the absolute best way to create a strong female lead in any movie. I agree to an extent. Just I feel like with with this film, like Raya's side of it is honestly really good up until sort of like the bits where they have to try and get really complex with her. Like, they do try to attempt to be overly complex, and that brings her character down a little bit in my mind. I also feel like this is a film that could potentially have two. Like, you could have Namari's side of things and Raya's side of things, which is why I Mm. I genuinely like to see them as... This is why I kind of wish that it was the original focus of Namari being the main villain. 
because I feel like those two yeah. genuinely work so well, and they bounce off each other in that typical way of sort of hate and mistrust. The actors do as well. I think both the actors of uh, Namari and Raya bounce off each other perfectly too yeah. in their confrontations. It's just the fact that if they didn't try to go so complex, she would be a great or even amazing character, where for now, for me, she's just kind of good. But I genuinely feel like she is one of the most enjoyable parts of this film, which is good, because if she wasn't, it would be a bad film. Um, then, obviously, there's the biggest character, which we've mentioned multiple times already, which is Sisu. And Sisu is, of course, the last dragon. And Sisu is also the, I guess, technically the third character we like, third long-staying character that we meet, other than Beetle Boy, Tuk-Tuk. Alan Tuk-Tuk. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you know what? Sisu's character is fine. The the Sisu's character is meant to be the optimistic one. The one that blindly places her trust in anyone because she believes everyone can be good no matter what has happened to them. Yeah, and I don't know how to pronounce the actress's name. Aquafina, something like uh, that. I think it's Aquafina, but yeah. Aquafina. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think she was the best acted character. She yeah. acted Sisu better than anyone. She reminded me, and this is go. This isn't obviously a one-to-one comparison because you cannot compare these two things. But she reminded me of the original genie from Aladdin. Because she was out there. She was mystical. She was a bit crazy. Sure, she kind of plays mostly a crazy cat lady sort of personality. But there are times where some other personality shines through. Yeah. And I do think Aquafina did an excellent job as Sisu. In making a an enjoyable, believable character that anyone can be entertained watching. Yeah. And one of the issues I sort of have in a weird way, though is not particular with Sisu's character. It's more what Sisu's character kind of does to the plot. Because the point is, is that Raya has been betrayed and we need to go on this journey with Raya for her to slowly develop the trust back for everyone, really. Because the only person she now trusts is stuck as a statue on a bridge. So that's all gone. But the only reason most of the others kind of join, really is because of Sisu. And because of this, Raya most of the time, if not almost 90% throughout the film, feels like she's not actually learning anything. And the only way she learns a little bit of trust, in my opinion, is when she gets the sub-story from Sisu. We should also not forget that the majority of negative things that happen in this movie are because of Sisu's misplaced trust. Yeah. That's the reason why she almost dies two or three times. She gets captured. It's the reason why Raya almost dies and gets captured. Sisu is a thorn in Raya's side, where Raya's trying to at least be, although she's one-sided on it, just like Sisu is, she's trying to place her trust where it's necessary. Yeah. And she never sees it as necessary. Like, she was correct in not trusting I'm just going to call them Purple Team. Yes. I don't have to remember the village names. She was right in not trusting the people of Purple Team. And by placing her trust accidentally in the baby, she actually recruited the baby. But by Sisu trusting the wrong person, she almost died. She almost gets killed, yeah. Yeah. So the movie has two messages here that don't work with one another. And in the end, it's trust everyone? I, I <laughs> <know>. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, because literally you have Raya's 
distrust which basically ends up putting her on the right path in a way because everything stays how it should and you know she keeps all her items and all that and then Sisu's always putting herself in danger but at the same time that's the naivety and the actual sort of selfless faith that she puts in people just from being i guess 500 years asleep <laughs> <laughs> yeah we find throughout the entirety of the story throughout the journey that there are times where trusting or not trusting others gets you where you need to be and is actually the right correct path for everyone involved yeah not just as a selfish thing but it tries to tell us in the end that no matter how many times someone has wronged you you're right to trust them <laughs> yeah to round off our character arc, talking about the characters themselves, uh, I think it's only a fair shout that we talk about the voice actors. So we have Gemma Chan playing Namara, and we have Kelly Marie Tran playing Raya, and my god, these two do a fantastic job playing these two characters. Those two are played so well that I kind of just wish it was just them, because when they interact, they sort of have, like, in a way, playful aggression. But they mm. do a really good job of snapping instantly into, no, right? The playful whateverness we've got needs to stop because this is a serious part now. Like, you know, you're, you have the rest of the orb that my city wants and I'm going to get it from you. And Raya is obviously like, no, because you are the reason my father turned into stone. And I'm going to gather them for my purposes. And like when they genuinely get into a fight. Like to me, Raya gets a fucking savage beating when it's the Raya versus the Mari yeah. fight. Which again, sort of plays on the fact of the ending. When Raya sort of loses control. But then I guess spares Namari. But for me, that's a weird scene. Because I don't feel like Raya should have ever savagely tried to beat up Namari in a way. <laughs> But no, both of those actors do such a great job. It's just annoying that the rest of every other character didn't really get to shine as well. Yeah, because of the such strong performances by Kelly, Gemma, and to be fair, Aquafina uh, as well. Yeah, Aquafina um, because as well. of their amazing performances, it does kind of overshadow everyone else and it makes them less relevant. Yeah. And oh, not just the performances, but the characters, the writing of those three characters themselves are the main focal point. And the others could have, although they're enjoyable, they could have done been done away with that. All, all these other side characters are foils for the main trio. Yeah. And you don't need that many. <laughs> no, no, you don't. I feel like that's the thing. No. <laughs> I feel like they created sort of like a like a restriction by needing to hmm. include five separate villages. Well, that's that's all those. Think of all those extra toys. Think of all those, <laughs> those Mickey Mouse dollars. Yeah, that's true. Those merchandise dollars <laughs> coming in hard, baby. Can't wait for my Commander of World map. <laughs> oh no, it's sad that that's going to be a thing. Get ready, here it comes. It probably is. Yep, ten different sizes of Tuck Tuck <laughs> <laughs> with additional rolling function. Whoa! So, just sort of one last thing about the story in terms of what i felt about it is that there's some things that i read online about what the original story was going to be mm. they originally had namari actually be the main antagonist the actual villain and she was supposed to control the drone they weren't going to be just a mindless shapeless mass they were going to be sort of like dumb sentient creatures that the villain can control and mm. that to me would have 
done better for the theme of trust because it sets it up as Namari and her village being the first ones to the dragon heart orb thing. To me, they should have just taken it. Now, to be fair, I think they should also have a hidden meaning. Like, maybe there's, they have some sort of reason for doing it. Maybe they were wronged by literally every other village, which is why they're angry. Something like that. But having them take over the Droon, having them be the cause of all of this, while also sort of breaking that trust bond with Raya, would have made for a more fulfilling trust story. Because then you have all the other villages, you could probably have her just go to each one, recruit the people, but then have that typical Disney thing of, I'm going to lay down my arms, I'm going to forgive you, it is literally up to you if you want to throw our friendship, our trust away. Hmm. Or do you want to put the magic orb together, now that I've gathered four of the five pieces, and do you want to fix everything and create a better world? And that would have been the trust message, started at mistrust, becoming trust people again, and everything works out. And that, to me, would have made the story a little better. Yeah, I can get on board with the other villages being more involved, at least. Oh, yes, for sure. <laughs> They're definitely all there at the beginning. They all meet up to have dinner together. And then when it comes to the actual meat of the story with Raya in her, I guess, adulthood. Yeah. Attempting to travel to these, these cities to obtain the pieces of the Dragon Balls. She only really meets with one other village all the others have been destroyed yeah with the exception of a few remaining survivors that's it she like meets one person goes on a tiny adventure for like 20 seconds with them and then they're on board yeah exactly for, for a film that's trying to go for a theme of trust having the people who initially came in to attack you immediately be on board with you is not a great way of portraying that message one other thing that I have that I find is annoying is that most of the character development or reason they're doing this is all the same. It's literally they mm. are all doing this because they have some sort of missing family member, which in a way kind of makes them all the same character. It makes sense, though, given the situation of the world. Yeah. But it would be nice to have at least maybe one character who has a vendetta against Fang because their family member's being locked away or something, and their piece has been stolen, or something like that. That would have made it a little more compelling. Speaking of the other villages, at the end of the movie, the movie just kind of actually just ends. It ends with like a, a happy, fun, dragon spinny sequence. Yeah, yeah, it does. But we don't see the outcome, really, of anything that's happened. It would have been nice to have just a short 5, 10, maybe, hopefully, 20-minute section where we can see the villagers rebuilding and regathering and working together in different ways. Yeah. Showing that, oh, purple team and red team are now working together to help rebuild blue team's village or something. Like, they're still wearing their colours, but perhaps they can mix their colours or show that, because they were, throughout the entire movie, they were all wearing team colours. It's obvious as that, uh, except Raya, who at some points wears other colours. She's the only one, I believe, that does this. It would have been good to actually see them coming together in the end, rather than the movie just say, yep, they're all happy now, the end. I would have liked to see some of the aftermath as a sort of payoff for seeing how bad things were in their apocalyptic, their post-apocalyptic world, to how they are now. There's one more thing. This isn't a positive or a negative, it's just a little fact that I saw when reading up about the ending, is that the ending was supposed to be, in a way, a lot darker. So... Sisu is indeed the last dragon, and she does end up getting shot by Namari. 
This causes Namari to feel like an extreme amount of guilt. She feels upset. This causes Raya to flip her shit and go on a warpath. Sure. But Sisu yeah. dies. But when the Dragon Orb gets remade, it brings Sisu back. Which I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. My only issue is that it brings back... Well, not even an issue. The, the thing that happens is that all the dragons also come back. So now we have all the humans and all the dragons practically living together, whereas yeah. the original ending that was discussed was that only Sisu would come back, showing that, in my, in what I feel, showing that the dragons have rightfully not only put their trust in Sisu, but Sisu has rightfully put her trust in the humans. So even though Sisu is now literally the last of her kind, she knows she's lived up to her family's expectations, and she can live in harmony with the rest of the humans. And that, you know, it's a darker ending, but it's still still a pretty good ending. Yeah, there, there are two problems I see with the ending as it stands. Um, the first is, as you said, the dragons never came back from the stone. Now, I thought this was because all of the dragons placed their magic, ergo their souls, you know, the dragon spirit orb or whatever it's called, into this final attack against the Druun to, I guess, seal them forever. And... Obviously, Sisu was the one, I guess, who activated the power of this. Maybe didn't put her magic in it, but activated the power, so it knocked her out. So she was her physical form left the realm until she was summoned back, and that's why she thought no time had passed. So it makes sense that any dragon who put their soul into the orb wouldn't be able to return their soul to the body, therefore staying as a statue. We don't see how many dragons did this. We only really see Sisu's close relatives. So really, going by that... Sisu and a few other dragons could have possibly survived. Yeah. Now, let's just pretend that didn't happen, and let's move forward in time to the ending. When the ending happens, and well, right before that, when Sisu is shot, the water vanishes because she was the dragon of the water. Now, the water remained, like, since the beginning of the movie, the water has existed or had existed, which shows that the dragon technically itself still lives. Now, because the water vanished... It should mean that her soul has left the body, therefore she has actually died this time. Yeah. So she shouldn't have been able to be brought back. Now, forgetting that, imagine she could be brought back, because we've seen her brought back in the first parts of the movie. Fine, I can accept that. While touching the orbs, she obtained the powers of her siblings, which further reinforces the idea that her family's magic is in that orb, and likely their souls too. So, when all the dragons came back, presuming they could come back, her siblings should not have been able to come back because Sisu had their power. Yeah. Now, forgetting that, <laughs> <laughs> since the water doesn't exist, I think the only way Sisu could have been revived is if the other dragons came back. Yeah. Because her siblings could control water too, and Sisu's a water dragon. So by using one of her siblings' ability to cause rain, they bring back her spirit from the water. I still don't know why all the dragons can do that runny sky thing, but I guess that's just innate to all dragons. Which, to be honest, I... Like, bit of a tangent. <laughs> um, <laughs> I will admit that I do like the fact that the dragons just can't innately fly. Like, I do like the fact that they did the effect of it's like them just jumping or, I guess, dancing on rain in order to actually fly. I think that's actually part of the folklore. Oh, well, honestly, even cooler. Yeah. But I, I genuinely like that because most dragons in sort of fairy tales or folklore and stuff just fly. So when they add it, be like, oh... So this power is just to create rain. And then it's like, well, sure, but also, come with me. And then she just fucking fucks off jumping on every droplet she can find. And it's like, you know what, that's actually a, that's a really cool design. 
or a design choice. But overall, Raya and the Last Dragon is a good time just sort of watching it without delving too deep into it. The message itself gets lost. They try to overcomplicate some characters, but the actual world itself is amazing. The visual and art design is pretty good. I just really wish they would have just left it down to being Raya, Namari, and Sisu. Because at the moment, I can only give this film a six, but fixing those issues of sort of like the complicated characters, the over-inflated or the bloated amount of characters that just aren't needed, this could have easily been like a seven, if not an eight. Yeah, yeah. for me, being a Disney movie, I can't help but compare it to other Disney movies of a similar nature. And by that, I'm talking about uh, Moana, Frozen, because it does have that whole Frozen people rock aspect, which is a bit odd, and Misplaced Trust, and um, Mulan, both versions of Mulan. And it does borrow a lot from all three of these movies. It, it does take some of the best points from the Disney formula, what they have to offer anyway. But by doing that, by borrowing from things that they know work, they're just further cementing themselves into the Disney formula, which means the movie is very, very safe. It's not groundbreaking in any stretch of the imagination. And it's very clear that the target audience is children, and based on the, the dated references, or well, they will be dated in a few years' time, it's obvious that the target audience is also young adults, which excludes parents. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know many young adults with bustling families of young children. <laughs> no. So it feels like they're excluding half of their family audience by doing this. Yeah. And when compared to other Disney movies that are similar... It doesn't really measure up. I think it's a better Mulan than the newest <laughs> yeah. one. And it's a worse Moana. And for that reason, I'll give it a six as well. And that is it for this week, Fruit Bowl fans. As always, don't forget to follow us on Spotify and all other major podcast platforms to catch new episodes every Friday or support us directly by going to anchor.fm forward slash Weekly. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at fruitballweekly to keep up to date with Fruitball news, any giveaways we may be doing, or to catch our fan-picked review polls every four weeks. Please send any feedback or any Fruitball episode ideas to us at fruitballweekly at gmail.com, and we will catch you next week. See you then. See you then.